And I invite you to please open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. Uh, we're specifically looking at uh, Ephesians 3, verse 18 and verse 19 today as we continue to make our way through uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. We've spent the last few weeks in uh, this prayer that's at the very end of Ephesians 3 that Paul has you know, many prayers throughout his New Testament letters, but um, you know, many pastors and commentators consider this prayer in Ephesians 3 from verse 14 to 21 to be one of the greatest and most profound passages in all of his writings. And as you know, we, we began looking at it a few weeks ago, so there's, there's already a lot of things that we've learned um, from Paul's prayer. We know that Paul, Paul prayed to, to God the Father as a dearly loved son, even as Patrick reminded us of of how the Shorter Catechism instructs us to approach our God in prayer uh, at the beginning of the pastoral prayer, Paul prayed to God the Father as a dearly loved son with, with reverence and with confidence and boldness. And in confidence, he asked for God through the person and power of the Holy Spirit to enable the Ephesians with all the spiritual resources they needed to be who God in Christ made them to be and called them to be. Now, I shared this quote with you last week, but one pastor summarized this, this prayer of Paul's at the end of Ephesians 3 as, here we have the distilled essence of the Christian experience. What Paul prays for these for in these verses is a summary of all that God intends for us in Christ. And I mentioned last week that theologian John Stott uh, described the, the petitions that we see in, in, in this prayer as kind of steps steps in a staircase that, that, that are heading somewhere, that are heading, heading to, what, to what God intends for his people, what God intends for you, and that is you be filled with all the fullness of God. So listen to how Stott puts it. Paul prays first that they may be strengthened by the indwelling of Christ through his spirit. Secondly, they may be rooted and grounded in love. Thirdly, they may know Christ's love in all its dimensions, although it is beyond knowledge. And fourthly, or I would even say ultimately, that they may be filled right up to the very fullness of God. And we looked at the, the first half of those petitions, those, those first couple of stairs last Sunday. We'll be looking at the, the, the second half today as we focus on verses 8 and 9. But put simply, Paul prays for the Ephesians to grow up in Christ, to become spiritually mature, you know, he prays that they would grow in, in the fruit of the Spirit. In particular, grow in love, be rooted and grounded in love, love for God, love for one another. Paul prays they would grow in Christ's likeness as Christ dwells and rules in their hearts in the, the person and power of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to read all of Paul's prayer, read from verse 14 down to verse 21, as I have been doing while we've been in this, in this section, but, but pay particular attention to verse 18 and verse 19. And now hear God's holy, inspired, inerrant, infallible, life-giving word. Ephesians 3, beginning in verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. 
Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. And it's absolutely true. And it's given to us in love for our good. So we're going to look at verses 18 and 19 under two headings. First, the the measure of Christ's love. Second, the fullness of God. The measure of Christ's love and the fullness of God. And we'll spend most of our time on the measure of Christ's love because that's where most of this verse, these verses are focused. And so first, the, the measure of Christ's love. Look with me at verse 18 and the beginning of verse 19. Paul prays that they may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. So first Paul prays that they may have strength to comprehend the love of Christ. Now that Greek word translated comprehend literally means to to grasp, to lay hold of, to to seize, to, to overtake. See, Paul wants the Ephesians and us to, to get our minds and our hearts and, and, and the arms of our lives around the immensity of the love of Christ for sinners like us. He wants us to grasp it so that it will grasp us, so that it will lay hold of us and seize us and overtake us, overtake our minds and our hearts and, and bear fruit in our lives, in our friendships, in our marriages, in all of our relationships and, and interactions. See, Paul prays we may have strength to comprehend the love of Christ, to grasp it, lay hold of it. Okay, well, how do we, how do we begin to do that? How, do we, how does one begin to, to comprehend, to grasp, to take hold of the love of Christ? Well, first, we must know Christ as our Savior. We must know him. We must know him personally. We must know him as our Savior if we're going to know, if we're going to grasp, if we're going to lay hold of his love for us. Listen to how Charles Spurgeon put it in a sermon on this passage. He says, an ungodly man may know something about Christ's love. He may believe in the fact of it. He may perceive something of the theory of it. But to know the love itself, to taste its sweetness, to realize personally experimentally and vitally the love of Christ as shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost is the privilege of the child of God and of the child of God alone. So do you know the love of Christ for you as a sinner in need of a Savior? Do you know the love of Christ? You can consider what Paul wrote in Galatians 2 verse 20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. Who loved me and gave himself for me. Do you know the love of Christ who gave himself for you? See, it was was because of his love for you that Christ took on human flesh and dwelt among us. And live the perfect sinless life to fulfill all the righteous requirements of the law. It was because of the love of his love for you 
that Christ suffered, bled, and died on Calvary's cross to fully pay for your sin, to make full atonement for all of your guilt, all of your sin. It was because of his love for you that he placed his spirit within you. It's because he loves you that he gave you a new heart, that you're born again, that you have a new life as a completely justified believer who is now adopted into God's family. Do you know this love of Christ? This love of Christ for sinners like us. I hope and I pray that you do. I hope you know of the sweetness of Christ's love, as Spurgeon put it, personally, experimentally, and and vitally. Now, if you're here this morning and and you don't know this love, listen, please know I am glad you're here. Please come and introduce yourself to me. Talk to me after the service. I would love to meet you and and hear your story and and share my story with you and hear your question. So please come and talk to me. But if you don't know this love, but you want to know it, then know that, that Christ's invitation is, well, come and get it. Come and get it because you can have it if you want it. Listen to what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. You see, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, then don't don't believe the lies. Don't believe the lie on the one hand that, that you need to you know, try really hard to, to be a good person and somehow earn your way into heaven. Don't believe that lie. Stop trying to do that. You're never going to be able to do it. Trust in Christ. Rest upon all that he has already accomplished for you in his life, death, and resurrection. On the other hand, don't believe the lie that you are simply too great of a sinner. Don't believe the lie that you're too far gone. Don't believe the lie that you've messed up too badly too many times and that there's no way that Christ can ever love you or forgive you or save you because you've been too bad for too long. And please know that that's why you need to run to Christ and trust in him by faith. That you'll never ever ever be able to clean your own life up. You'll never be able to, to get to the point to where you can make yourself an acceptable candidate or applicant for, for God's grace and forgiveness. And the very definition of grace means that you're never deserving. You never merit it. You never measure up. You've never earned it. So trust in Christ. Do you know the love of Christ for sinners like us? You can. Humble your heart. Bend the knee of your heart in faith. Acknowledge that you're a sinner in need of a Savior. Confess that you believe and that you trust that Jesus is the Savior you need. And trust and rest in all that he has accomplished for your redemption in his life, death, and resurrection. See, first, if we're going to grow in comprehending the love of Christ for us, then we must be Christians. Second, we also need to know that 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 children's song that perhaps we first heard in Sunday school or vacation Bible school, it really is true. You guys know the song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Right? The Bible tells us over and over and over again, on page after page after page, of Christ's great love for us. That if we're going to begin to comprehend, how, how do we comprehend Christ's love for sinners like us? 
Friends, begin to read your Bible. I mean, realize that I mean, this is no mere book. This is not merely a book about God. This is not merely a, a book about Jesus. This is, this is God's word. This is God's word that's given to you in love for your good. Begin to take up and read your Bible. You know, pick, pick a Bible reading plan. You know, there are lots of Bible plans out there, and I'll give you a secret. Every single one of them work if you, if you do it. So j- just pick one. But, but any of our pastors, any of our elders, any of your Sunday school teachers can, can recommend one to you. You can create your own. It doesn't matter. Every one of them works, but pick up and read. And as you begin to read your Bible, as you begin to read God's Word, not merely as a history book, not merely as a book about God, but as His Word given to you in love for your good, pray. Pray and ask God to enable you to to see and to grow in your understanding, in your comprehension, in your grasp of the immensity of Christ's love for you. Christ loves you. And the Bible tells you so. So read the Bible. Study it. Be committed to hearing it preached faithfully. But thirdly, as you read the Bible, do what it says. As you read the Bible, do what it says. We, we had a, a Meet CEPC weekend this weekend, and our, our third membership vow is, is a promise to live as becomes followers of Christ. That's not a promise of perfection, as if that's possible. That's not a promise to never ever sin again. But that is, part of that vow is a promise to take God's word seriously and to seek to do what it says. See, the more we seek to obey the word of God with our whole hearts, the more we will grasp his love, Christ's love for us. The more we seek to obey God's word with our whole hearts, the more we will taste the sweetness of his love for us. I mean, listen to what Jesus told the disciples there in the upper room on the night before the cross in John 15, verses 9 and 10. Listen to what he says. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. He's not saying, obey God's word so you can earn my love. That's not at all what he's saying. What he's saying is that the more that we read the word of God, the more that we seek to obey it, to take it seriously, to to, to live it out, the more we will comprehend, grasp, lay hold of the love of Christ for us. And the more we will be assured of this great love for us. Now, I didn't say that that he would love us more, but that we would grasp the immensity of his love. We'd be enabled uh, with the ability to taste and and savor the sweetness of his love. Pastor Richard Phillips says, those who live for themselves know little of Christ's love, but those who live for Christ abide in his love. Now, now look, look back at our text, verses 18 and 19. Paul prays, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. Let's not run past that phrase, with all the saints. So remember, remember that Paul is writing to the saints who are in Ephesus. Right? I jokingly say he's writing to First Pres Ephesus. You guys have heard me do that before. But the point is, I'm trying to emphasize that he's writing to a church. 
Right? We read that in Ephesians 1.1, to the saints who are in Ephesus. He's writing to a church. Here at the end of Ephesians 3, he's praying for a church. Don't miss that. Together with all the saints, that the Christian life is intended to be a corporate life, a communal life, a body life, a family life. That we're never ever meant to live the Christian life in, in isolation. Now, and remember, this prayer at the end of Ephesians 3, remember, it's connected to what Paul wrote at the end of Ephesians 2. Remember, because Paul had this digression for several verses where he, he told us about his calling as the apostle to the Gentiles, to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ to, to the Gentiles. And then he comes back to what he was beginning to pray at the beginning of Ephesians 3. So this prayer is connected to what Paul wrote at the end of Ephesians 2. Okay, well, so remember what he wrote. In Ephesians 2, verses 19 to 22, he says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So listen to what he says to this church. This church made up of all kinds of people, Jews and non-Jews, Jews and Gentiles, all types of people. Listen to what he says, that you are not isolated strangers. You're not isolated individuals. You are together fellow citizens, members of the same kingdom, even more than that, members of the same household, members of the same family of God. More than that, you, know, you are joined together, built together into one building, built together into a new temple, a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Together with all the saints, we may comprehend the love of Christ, the immensity of the love of Christ for us, together with all the saints. See, friends, what Paul's communicating to us in this prayer is that you're never, we are never going to be able to comprehend the immensity of the love of Christ for us without all of the saints, without one another. As Pastor Ian Hamilton puts it, we need one another. When one member suffers, all suffer. When one member rejoices, all rejoice. Too often, Christians see the church and its fellowship like a watering hole, merely a place to be spiritually replenished, and not as a family to love and cherish and to belong to. With all the saints is the default of the life of faith. Growth in grace, in understanding, and in love is impossible without it. See, Paul's saying that we, we comprehend, we grasp, we lay hold of the immensity of Christ's amazing love for us through one another, through our, our, our fathers and mothers in the church, through our brothers and sisters in the church, through our sons and daughters in the church, as, as we serve one another, as we serve together with one another. As, as we teach the Bible to one another, you know, as, as we, we are taught the Bible by one another and teach it to one another. It also happens as we discuss the word of God with one another. 
with all the saints. See, this is one of the reasons why, yes, I, I hope that you will have you know, a firm commitment to gather and worship with God's people Sunday after Sunday, but I also hope that, that, that you will also choose one of our Sunday school classes. Find a Sunday school class where you can hear the Bible taught by one another, discuss it with one another. Join the city group to be able to be praying for one another, discussing the Bible with one another. Join our women's Bible study. Join our men's Bible study so we can be reading, discussing, studying the Bible with one another. So we also better comprehend the love of Christ as we pray with one another, as we pray for one another. You see, it's, it's together. It's together with all the saints. It is together with all the saints that we grow in our understanding and our comprehension of the greatness, the immensity of Christ's love for us in a way that we never will on our own in isolation. Now look again at, at our passage, verses 18 and 19. Paul prays they may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. Okay, I don't have to tell you guys this, but I'll still point it out. You know, we, we don't normally measure things, I don't think, with four dimensions, right? We normally just go with, you know, with the breadth and the width, the length and the height. But you notice that Paul's essentially saying the love of Christ is too great for that. We've got to think about this in four dimensions. That Paul says the love of Christ for us is far greater than anything else we might attempt to measure. Therefore, we need you know, four dimensions, and I'm praying that you would have the strength, the ability to comprehend with all the saints what is that, that breadth or width and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ for you. So let's think about each of these four dimensions in turn. How are we to comprehend the, the breadth or the width of Christ's love for us? Well, for each of these, I want to remind you of something that Paul has already written in Ephesians. In the first half of Ephesians. So thinking about the breadth or the width of Christ's love. Think about uh, Ephesians 2 verse 14. He's writing about Jews and Gentiles. Jews and non-Jews. Now being in the church. In, one, in the one church. The one household family of God. And he says, for he, Christ himself is our peace. Who has made us, Jew and Gentile, both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Now Paul's point here is that Christ's love is, is wide enough to embrace every kind of person, all types of people from all over the world. It's wide enough to embrace whoever will come to faith in Christ. Whoever will come to faith in Christ may come. And this is true for you. This is true for any who will come. It's true for young and old. It's true for, for brown, black, white, everything in between. It's true for, for rich and poor, educated, uneducated. The love of Christ is wide enough, broad enough for you, regardless of who you are. There really is room for you. Well, how do we comprehend the, the length of Christ's love? Remember what, what Paul's already said in Ephesians. And I'm thinking about Ephesians 1, verses 3 and 4. Paul wrote, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. 
You realize what he says about the length of Christ's love. The length of Christ's love for us stretches from eternity past, before the foundation of the world, and Christ's love for us extends into eternity future, where when we will be glorified and made perfectly holy in heaven. Or as the old Scottish pastor Alexander McLaren put it, the length of the love of Christ is the length of eternity and outmeasures all human sin. What about the height of Christ's love? Well, remember what Paul has already written in Ephesians 2, verses 4 to 6. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Do you see that? that the love of Christ is high enough to, to lift us to heaven. Okay, well, what about the, the depth of Christ's love? Well, remember what Paul's written earlier in Ephesians 3, in Ephesians 3, verse 8, and he's, when he's talking about himself. He says, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, you know, I know how great of a sinner I am. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. What Paul says is the love of Christ is deep enough to, to reach down and save the least of all the saints, the chief of all the sinners. It's deep enough to save Paul. It's deep enough to, to save a depraved sinner like me. It's deep enough to save you. I mean, think about the hymn that we, that we sing. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus, vast, unmeasured, boundless, free, Rolling as a mighty ocean in its fullness over me. Underneath me, all around me, is the current of thy love. Leading onward, leading homeward, to thy glorious rest above. It's the measure of the love of Christ for you. Now look, look, look at the beginning of verse 19. And Paul prays that we would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Now, you know, you know, Paul sometimes arrives at a place where he's at a loss for words in his prayers. He sometimes gets there, and he's almost there. It's almost as if he's, he's at a loss for words, and he acknowledges this incredibly marvelous paradox of comprehending the incomprehensible, of, of knowing that which surpasses and exceeds knowledge. You see, that Greek word translated surpasses in verse 19 is also found at two other places earlier in Ephesians. That word translated surpasses is found in Ephesians 1 verse 19, and there it's translated immeasurable, immeasurable. And there in, in Ephesians 1 verse 19, Paul uses that word translated immeasurable to describe the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward us who believe. And then Paul uses that same word, again translated immeasurable in Ephesians 2 7, where he describes the immeasurable riches of God's grace in kindness towards us in Christ. So Paul's now using this word translated surpasses in Ephesians 3.19, the same word that earlier he used to, to, the, he used it to, in an attempt in, to, to strain to describe God's great power toward us. He used it to, to strain to describe God's great grace towards us, immeasurable power, immeasurable grace. Now he's using it to, to strain, to strain to describe God's immense love for us in Christ. 
as John Stott puts it, Christ's love is as unknowable as his riches are unsearchable. Doubtless, we shall spend eternity exploring his inexhaustible riches of grace and love. And yet, I think an important application of, of, of Paul's prayer for us is on the one hand simple, on the other hand hard. On the one hand, I think an important application is that it's good for us to simply sit and consider and to celebrate and to be grateful for how great Christ's love for sinners like us really is. Just simply to realize we are dearly loved by Christ. He loved us and he gave himself for us. And yet on the other hand, it's also good for us to strain and stretch our minds and our hearts in an attempt to, to grasp and comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of Christ's love for us. Christ's love, which is vast, unmeasured, boundless, free, rolling like a mighty ocean in its fullness over me. It's the measure of Christ's love. Then the second heading, and we see this in the second part of verse 19, the fullness of God. So look with me at Ephesians 3, verse 19. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now I have to admit, I only think I know what this phrase means. And I think I'm in good company because I'm not sure that any of the commentators or pastors I read feel confident. They know what this phrase means. You may be filled with all the fullness of God. How do you begin to explain that? How do we begin to wrap our minds around that? Well, let's start with trying to be as balanced as the Bible is balanced. Here's what we know. Paul says this about Christ in Colossians 1, verse 19. For in Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Christ. But then listen to what Paul says in Colossians 2, verses 9 and 10. For in him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. But listen to verse 10. And you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. So putting this together, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Christ. And in Christ, we ourselves have come to fullness in Christ. But then look back to our verse, Ephesians 3, 19. Paul's praying that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Okay, so all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Christ, and in Christ we ourselves have come to fullness, but then Paul prays that we may be yet filled with all the fullness of God. Okay, so Richard, what do we do with this? I think a helpful summary of what Paul's praying for the Ephesians, of what God intends for us, what God desires for us, is that we would become like Christ. Grow in Christ's likeness, for, for Christ is himself the fullness of God. P put another way, Paul's point is that the fullness of God is the aim. The fullness of God is what God intends for us. That Paul is praying that we will grow in Christ's likeness and in all that is Christ. That we would grow in the fullness of spiritual maturity. Grow in the fullness of, of wisdom and goodness and love. Remember, so much of this prayer has been about love. 
The Paul's praying we would grow and mature and become increasingly more like Christ in our love for God and our love for one another. You see, God intends for us to have this fullness of God, which means that we will be strengthened with power through the Spirit in our inner being. We will have Christ dwelling and ruling in our hearts. We will be rooted and grounded in love. And that we will comprehend the breadth, length, height, and depth of the love of Christ. See, Paul is praying this for the Ephesians and for us as individuals and corporately as the church. And and now don't don't forget that that this prayer at the end of Ephesians 3 is is connected back to what Paul wrote at the end of Ephesians 2. So I've already said, I've already looked at this passage at the end of Ephesians 2 But let's revisit it. Ephesians 2, verse 19 to 22. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place, into a new temple for God by the Spirit. Listen to what Paul says about the church. This New Testament church is a new temple, a new creation temple. To be the dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Now keep that in mind and look back at this prayer. Ephesians 3 verse 19. That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. See, Paul's prayer request in Ephesians 3.19 is that God would fill his people, this new creation temple, the church, with the fullness of his presence through the Spirit. And think about this. Think about what we know from the Old Testament, that God's glory had filled the tabernacle, that God's glory had filled Solomon's temple. Then if you remember, the prophet Ezekiel had a vision, really a devastating vision, in Ezekiel 10, tragic vision of the Lord's glory departing from the temple because the people had profaned the temple with idolatry. However, later in Ezekiel, the prophet had a vision of a glorious new temple, a new creation temple which was yet to come. And listen to what Ezekiel says about this in Ezekiel 43, verses 1 to 5. Then he led me to the gate the gate facing east, and behold, the glory of the God of Israel was coming from the east, and the sound of his coming was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory, and I fell on my face as the glory of the Lord entered the temple by the gate facing east. The Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And theologian commentator S.M. Boss says this, This is Ezekiel 43 passage. This is the background to the divine filling and fullness in Ephesians 3.19 and leads directly to Paul's hymn in the next two verses in Ephesians 3.20 and 21 where he ascribes to God glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. See, here we have the distilled essence of the Christian experience. That what Paul prays for in these verses is a summary 
of all that God intends for us in Christ. That God intends for you to come to him as your heavenly father, as with confidence and boldness as you pray. That God intends for Christ to dwell and rule in your heart, in all of your heart, over all of your heart, and over every area of your life. That God intends for you to comprehend with all the saints, with one another, the immensity of Christ's love for you. And God intends for you, his new creation temple, the church, to be filled with the fullness of his presence through the Spirit as you are conformed more and more into the image of Christ, rooted and grounded in love. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. For this reason, I'll bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.